0: Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast. If you are under 18 years of age, stop the podcast now. This is episode 151 of our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Views expressed are not representative of the management of the Kinky Cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. Today, we will be speaking with Susan Wright on Sex and Politics. Here's your hosts, Woody and the Beast.
1: Thanks, Max, and welcome to another edition of the Kinky Cast. Sitting next to me is the Beast. How are you tonight?
2: I'm good, Woody. I'm good. The chill's in the air, but uh, that's this time of year.
1: What do they say, the frost is on the pumpkin?
2: Yeah, well, this is beyond frost, I think.
1: Okay, very good. So, what do you got tonight?
2: We are blessed with, after this roller coaster political season, we are with the lifestyle's own political boss. We have Susan Wright with us from the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom. Hi, Susan.
1: Welcome to the cast.
3: Thank you. How are you both doing tonight?
1: We are good. Uh, we're a little scared, but we're good.
3: <laughs> I think a lot of people are not quite sure what's going to happen. And I think that that's, in some ways, the biggest fear happening right now is, what will this bring? This new administration and the the choices that President-elect Trump has made for his cabinet and the people that he's surrounding himself with. So I think everybody is a little trepidatious to find out how is this all going to play out.
1: Here's a new word, trumpedacious Trumpedatious. <laughs> well, starting with the man himself, Somebody used the term kinky, but not in our way.
3: (laughs) Well, you know, the thing about um, Donald Trump is, uh, you know, I'm a longtime New Yorker. I lived in New York for 25 years. And so I was there for all the early 90s tabloid coverage of Marla Maples. And, you know, he had his little kids at home with Ivana. And, you know, the, the things that he enjoyed doing, the, the fact that he really liked the spotlight and he really liked the the giant crowds. So I was used to seeing that with him. This whole cycle, election cycle, was just kind of more of the same. But, you know, I was always used to him being kind of liberal, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Donald Trump is always within the New York City, I mean, because everybody in New York City is is very, you know, liberal on that liberal end. So, basically, to do business, I think you do have to kind of be in that mode, that mindset. But, um, you know, he would go on Howard Stern and talk all these <laughs> really frank <laughs> sexual things. And we've heard all
1: those Howard Stern tapes yes, of the election have. here. And, and uh, some of the...
2: Uh, Access Hollywoods. and Susan, I have a question. You are not one of the Trump women, right?
3: Oh, no. No. Never on the airplane with them, huh? No. No. Actually, I saw it was weird. I was flying back from giving a consent workshop, I think in St. Louis, and I saw a little girl, like 12 years old, and she was wearing a you know, make America great again hat. And, and and this was right after the whole allegations of sexual assault. Mm. I just was like, I just kind of was like, oh, you know, the mom was with her and I didn't know what to think. And I think that it's kind of interesting to see how this has played out. The fact that, uh, you know, clearly millions of people didn't care that he had been accused of sexual assault, that he had, you know, actually said something about committing sexual assault. And I, it's, Kind of, I think, a little shocking to a lot of people, the fact that 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 wasn't a disqualifier, whereas in so much of our political past, these private sexual things and sexual transgressions, like Anthony Weiner himself, destroyed people's political career. And, you know, it was used as like a bludgeon against Democrats and Republicans alike. The fact that their moral failings made them unfit to hold public office.
1: But now it doesn't seem to matter.
3: Yeah, here we have Trump. And so that's a complete paradigm shift. You've got to wonder, does that mean that we'll stop seeing that be emphasized as much since clearly it didn't have an effect in this case or is it just is Trump unique?
1: Well, one of the things if you take Bill Clinton, who Trump has thrown many darts at the sex that he had was consensual. When Trump is talking about grabbing pussy and what have you, that is non-consensual. There's a big difference there.
3: Well, he definitely, there was nine people, I think women that came out and said that he had either touched them inappropriately or um, kissed them. NCSF, National Coalition for Sexual Freedom, what we do is we help people who are survivors of sexual assault and need help get in contact with victim advocates. And we always, we help groups um, who have are trying to deal with consent violations, and how do you deal with that? And we always tell groups, you have to look for a pattern. If there's a pattern of behavior, um, if somebody's grooming people, and then with the people that have poor boundaries, they actually go further and violate their consent in, in more and more ways, that's a problem person to have around your group. Again, this is like something that may have changed.
2: This is a possible shift in paradigm, but we are seeing him surround himself in his cabinet with a certain type of person. How does this read for us?
3: Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that before he started selecting his cabinet, we were left in the idea that, well, maybe, you know, he'll go in a completely different way. But what we've seen since he actually has been elected is that he's surrounding himself with people who are very anti LGBT. They may not be the normal lobbyists like the Chris Christie people, but They are definitely have a history of going against LGBT rights. Um, They definitely have a history in politics. So I'm not sure how much that's draining the swamp when it's the same big donors and, and people who are within Congress. And, you know, some of these people, I mean, like we take the vice president, Mike Pence, when he made that choice. Yeah, that
1: spoke volumes there.
3: I think so. I mean, the governor of Indiana, I mean, just last year. He signed that Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and that gives businesses the right to discriminate against gay people on the basis of religion. But that says something, that he was doing this just last year. Um, this is not somebody who, like, 30 years ago or 15 years ago, 10 years ago, was dealing with things, which he was, actually, even 10 or 15 years ago. And at one point, he advocated siphoning off government money from HIV, Treatment, uh, instead put it towards conversion therapy.
1: That, yeah, that'll work. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, well, his idea was to, to get people to stop being gay as a way to stop HIV. He also has definitely urged Congress to oppose any effort to put gay and lesbian relationships on an equal status. And we saw what he did as governor. I mean, the, the point is is that businesses have the right to choose what people are doing, you know, what, who, who they're serving. They don't need to have special laws in there helping them. I mean, if they don't want to serve somebody or they don't want to hire somebody, pretty much any company in the, in the country can discriminate against people. And that's what we see with NCSF. People come to us and say, you know, I got fired because my boss found out I was kinky. Typically, this has to do with either being a teacher in a religious establishment or working for a church Oh, we even had an organist. He was a leatherman and he was an organist and he got fired because he he was found out that he was a leatherman. So already see that people who are running these religious businesses can do whatever they want. There is no need for a law like this to, to protect businesses. But that's what I'm worried about, is that Trump is likely to support ideas like this if it's pitched to him that it's good for business. Because that's what he's into, um, is protecting business.
2: Been making that amply clear just recently with some of his announcements and proceedings. And let's, let's remember, Pence is the Speaker Pro Tem of the Senate, right?
3: Yes, he will be once he's sworn in. He's going to be the tiebreaker. So if it comes up 50-50, which with the senators, there is, that's a little bit of a wild card. When we look at the Senate, because there's certain senators who have opposed Trump from the beginning, people like John McCain, you know, there's like a handful of five five or six people who um, could switch. And could go over to the Democratic side and, you know, try to stop certain things from happening, like defunding of Medicare, privatizing Social Security, those big things, and maybe even immigration. We have to see what they're willing to kind of shift on, but that will be very interesting. But Pence will definitely be the tiebreaker there, and he is just completely against any sort of LGBT. He wants to definitely roll back. Barack Obama's executive protection on LGBT rights, like right away. He wants that transgender issue, as he calls it, to be just resolved on the local level, which means leaving states to decide if they actually want to uh, discriminate against minorities in their state.
1: One step forward and three steps back in this case.
3: I I definitely think so. I mean, I was worried about when he picked it, because especially he had said at one point that he was going to leave Mike Pence to run things.
1: Yeah, well, Trump stays in New York.
3: Yeah, well, I don't think that that's going to happen. I think at this point he's going to try to take the reins. But certainly Mike Pence has now moved into a much more prominent position since he's the head of the transition team. He is the one who's helping to pick who's going to be in the administration. And, you know, he is picking people that have the same mindset as he does.
1: So he's not a typical vice president role, for sure.
3: Uh, no. I mean, normally you do not see the vice president take over the role of transition chair. So that tells you something right there how much involvement he's having.
1: I was in Indianapolis right after that decision came down. The town was literally split in half about it. Mm. Indianapolis is a fairly big city. You get out into the countryside and it goes way conservative on you.
3: Right. You know, it's appealing to fear, which apparently is working right now. And so that's why we have to fear. Because um, people who are kinky are often seen as other or something to be scared of. And so you start to see um, a reaction from the local communities. For example, we haven't seen any kind of media fervor over a BDSM conference in years, many years. Um, the last one actually was kind of, an, a kind of a strange thing that came out of Detroit because there was a big murder trial happening that involved somebody who had um, been involved in the BDSM lifestyle. So they sent a hidden camera in. But before that, it went way back. Um, many years. Well, what happened right after the election? Fox News in St. Louis airs a you know undercover video that somebody had given them of a BDSM group and put it on the news, and was all shocked that there's this nonprofit run by volunteers that you know charges ten dollars and lets people who are twenty one and over in, and was trying to whip up some sort of sentiment against the group. I think that. That wouldn't have been aired in the same way if the election had gone differently. In fact, we were told it wasn't going to air for weeks, and suddenly the election happened, and it boom, it came out right away. So that's, that's a little frightening. We certainly don't want our educational organizations targeted by people in the local communities as a way to kind of raise their political career. We have to watch out.
2: With Trump, we have seen a shift. Also, you don't need any proof to make a claim anymore. You just make a claim and, and it becomes newsworthy.
3: And he still has his Twitter. So he's doing that through his Twitter account.
2: Instant news from the White House. But I think this, again, a shift in the media on how the media covers things. They've been covering Trump's proclamations as news that I think we've had some, some trickle down into uh, the uh, the state and regional stories that the level of the burden of proof is lower had to become newsworthy now.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think that we have a problem with facts (laughs) getting out there, and it's more based on feelings. I think we saw that with LGBT people. There wasn't a real change in the way that gay people were treated until enough people knew somebody who was gay. They had to meet somebody and actually interact with them and realize, well, Joe is just Joe. Joe is fine, even if he's gay. And that's what kind of breaks through prejudice. But for a lot of us who are kinky or polyamorous, um, which is another thing that we're seeing people being discriminated for, you know, it's um, there's just not a lot of role models. There's not a lot of people coming out. We're still so so closeted as a community. Um, Even the people who are involved in the BDSM groups, you know, 80 percent are still not out about what it is that they're doing.
1: And now if they were headed out, there, turning around and going back in because it's a little scary out there.
3: Yeah, NCSF can't tell people, come out when there's still discrimination happening um, and still persecution happening. Now, we definitely have seen, it's interesting, we've been tracking these numbers because our incident reporting and response, people come to us for help when they're being discriminated against or they need an attorney or they're looking for a therapist or a group needs help. And so we've tracked these numbers since 2002 and for well over a decade, we were getting between five and 600 requests a year. It was We were getting a lot of requests. And in particular, we were getting a lot of child custody requests. I mean, the peak year was 125 child custody cases. 100, over 100 parents came to us for help in trying to get their custody back. Or it was either between them and their ex or it was involving CPS because they were kinky or non-monogamous. Usually kinky. Uh, very rarely back then was non-monogamy an issue. And that was the year we started our DSM revision project. And it was two years later that the proposal came out that said, hey, these kinky people in community networks are perfectly healthy, you know, stop discriminating against them. In 2012, you know, it took a couple of years to start trying to explain this, You know, get this through the system. But by 2012, it had dropped to 77 people. And this year so far, we've only had five people come to us for help with um, child custody issues because they're kinky. So it just really plummeted, especially once it got published. And we credit this to marriage equality, because that really permeated society, the fact that, yes, anybody has the right to choose the relationship that they want, and they should be allowed to form that kind of legal bond. And that had a huge repercussion for the kinky community. I think that's partly what helped Discrimination plunged to the fact the point where this year we'll have just a little bit more than a hundred people have come to us in 2016 so far to get help. That's a huge drop just in the past eight years, and I think part of that is a testament to the fact that we had Barack Obama, his judicial department, all of the people that he picked to surround him were very careful to be inclusive, and and I think it shows, and I think that's how it shows when it's you know words have an effect and these laws that affect lgbt people affect us directly
1: absolutely when we look at a year from now and see what those numbers are like that could be very telling
3: i think so we, we you know we'll continue to track them i'm actually going to try to get this published if i can because i think you know when you go from 125 parents needing help to five parents that clearly shows that there the the dsm the apa's diagnostic manual was the cause of this discrimination and institutions cause this discrimination. It's not something that just springs out of nowhere. It takes people like, you know, Mike Pence and attorney general Jeff Sessions, which is somebody else. We could certainly talk about Mm -hmm. who will have a huge impact on our lives directly.
1: That is such a a major change from where we are now. So talk a little bit about uh, Jeff Sessions.
3: Well, He's an Alabama senator, so we know, actually know a lot about it. He's really considered one of the most conservative and anti-LGBT members of Congress. And the Human Rights Campaign gave him a zero, <laughs> oh. so that tells you something. You know, he's got—he um, voted for the constitutional ban on same-sex marriage that failed, thank goodness. He's always been vocal against marriage equality. Um, he's also fought against um, the discrimination protections that have come up for LGBT people. He opposed expanding the definition of a hate crime to include LGBT people. The one big seminal thing that changed, which was don't ask, don't tell, being repealed so that gay men and lesbian women could be serve openly in the military without having to hide who they were. He opposed lifting that ban. So think about that. If those things had not happened, we wouldn't have had you know, marriage equality, we wouldn't see the discrimination numbers against kinky people going down. So we have to wonder, he is going to be in a position as attorney general to dictate how the Justice Department, what crimes they prosecute, how they treat people. He has a lot of power at, because the, the court system really uh, does impact on our people. I mean, like, it's very hard to get at it. A sexual assault in a BDSM context prosecuted, I think it's going to be even more difficult uh, moving forward. I just don't think that they're going to be focused on sexual assault. That
2: brings us to the Supreme Court. What damage can we do and what lasting damage can happen?
3: Well, it's unfortunate because we were robbed of having another, you know, centrist uh, justice put on the court, which would have been actually a really great thing to have somebody who really takes a central position rather than be openly liberal or openly conservative. So now we're going to have another conservative replace the arch-conservative Justice Scalia that we lost. Um, So in some ways, it's going to go back to to business as usual, um, which tended to lean more towards conservatism. If we lose somebody else, if another justice um, uh, unfortunately dies or retires then it 's going to skew much more heavily conservative, and I know um, that Donald Trump said in that recent long interview that uh, marriage equality is the law of the land, and he doesn 't really want to change it well, so is roe v Wade um, you know, and all it takes is one more conservative justice on there somebody 's going to bring a challenge to marriage equality. And they will have to listen to it. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see will they go back more conservative? Because that decision was actually made pretty resounding in the favor of marriage equality. All we can do at this point is kind of cross our fingers that that isn't rolled back because that would have the most significant impact. I I just can't even imagine what that would do to people. I mean, how could they even do it? You know, you're going to tell people now you're not married?
2: It would have such social complications. But that doesn't mean they can't do it. Or try. Or try. Much of what happens in Congress ends up in the courts.
3: Exactly. And the courts are making a, big decisions. You know, they're the ones that decided uh, Bush would be a president <laughs> and Gore wouldn't. I mean, the, the Supreme Court is quite important when it comes to a lot of different issues. Obscenity law is, is another thing. I mean, are they going to start prosecuting pornography? Um, We see over in the U.K. that uh, they passed a law against any sort of so-called violent uh, depictions of violent sexuality, which included staged BDSM. So we could see the same sort of um, tactics taken here to try to go against pornography.
1: Well, we seem to be following England around. They go to Brexit and we go to Trump. You know, it's the same kind of conservative thinking.
3: Exactly. And you know, we've always kind of followed in their footsteps. I mean, a lot of what they end up doing legally is enshrined in our laws as well. Consent is not a defense to assault; is something that we've been battling with forever. And the NCSF is trying to work now with the American Law Institute, which is trying to revise the Model Penal Code on sexual assault to include all BDSM under sexual assault if it's a consent violation, whether it's genital contact or not. So that way, it, there's consent as a defense which is what we need in BDSM, and it also gives victims anonymity. So they'll, they'll be much more willing to report a crime that's happened if they get that anonymity. Right now, if somebody's injured, they're either cut or caning or punched. They don't have any anonymity when they report that, and so people just don't report it. We don't know how all of this is going to affect that. I mean, the model penal code has to be accepted by each state, So, we would have to go in and lobby each state to either accept the model penal code or at least accept that part that has to do with BDSM so that they understand it's all about affirmative consent. You verbally agree that you're going to do certain things before you do it. And if you're operating that way, then consent is a defense.
2: Under the Trump uh, model, the federal government would have less impact and the state would be more independent in all their thinking.
3: Absolutely. And so, a state like California, And Washington State and Oregon will have no problems getting them to understand what this penal code is trying to do as far as BDSM. But in places like Alabama and even Indiana, we might have more trouble. And so we'll have kind of spotty. When you let the states control things like that, certain states have those kinds of protections in it and other states don't. And that's going to make it even more difficult for kinky people to know What's legal, what's not, what it is that they need to do. But certainly we all seen that operating by affirmative consent by actually verbally agreeing to what you do beforehand is the best way to go.
1: It brings on another problem when you let 50 states decide which way a law is going to go because we lose the national aspect. If we take the pot rulings here, California, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, it's still a federal offense to use recreational pot even though the states now allow it. So to have this kind of polarizing within the nation is difficult with something like that. Then you add a sexual aspect to it to where it's okay to be openly gay in California, but not in Alabama. What does that mean? Everybody moves?
3: That's the scary part is, yeah, what happens? Do you have to like, if you want to get married, you can't live in Alabama? I mean that's horrible.
1: Or if you were married in California and you moved to Alabama, does that mean you are not married?
3: Exactly. And that's a problem. I mean, in some ways we fought the civil war over that. We <laughs> you know, the the fact that there should be certain overarching federal guidelines to how people are treated and it really is about human rights that we're talking about.
2: Do you think that the populist upswelling that carried Trump to the White House signals a more conservative view among the average American? Or do you think it was limited to the economic issues that he was pushing?
3: Yeah, you know, I'm, I, I have a lot of conservative friends on my like Facebook feed. And I've really been watching what they've been saying, the people who supported Trump. And a lot of them are very pro-LGBT they just see that kind of rhetoric as oh that was just what he had to say to get the you know approval of these evangelicals i'm not sure if it, there's a bigger group of evangelicals that want to discriminate against lgbt or if it was there was a giant group of people that just can't stand politicians and were willing to go for anything that would kind of like put a wrench in the whole works. And so Donald Trump was seen as the perfect guy. I mean, even the Republican establishment wasn't accepting him. So I'm wondering if a lot of it was like, let's just pick somebody way out there and see if they can kind of break through some of this gridlock. And that certainly was what he was trying to say he wasn't out there talking against LGBT people when he was on the stuff, you know, he actually mentioned them in his acceptance speech. So I don't understand why he's surrounding himself with all these virulent anti LGBT people and how far they're going to go. Because, you know, clearly we saw from this election, that moral issues are not a deciding factor for this mass of people that voted Trump in.
1: Well, Susan, you know, there's one thing that's kind of weird here. We don't see Trump as the real outlier against all our standards that we're after. It's Pence and it's Sessions and the crew that's coming in underneath him. I'm actually less worried about Trump than I am these guys.
3: Right. And I would hope that Trump would put the brakes on I mean, he has plenty of gay friends. I'm sure living in New York, you can't not, you know?
1: You say you hope he puts the brakes on, but I I think he's feeding coal right now to forming this kind of evil empire under him.
3: Right. Yeah, he, you know, it's really kind of funny, but Chris Christie and Rudy Giuliani were probably the most socially liberal-minded of his inner circle and both of them seem to be on the out. Right. And I wonder if that's kind of created this vacuum for all of these people to come in and you know, like, Oh my gosh, he's secretary of education. Uh, Betsy DeVos is like, she's huge anti-gay donor. She's given tons of money to defeat anti-gay amendments in states when it was being fought out state by state. She also, you know, she gave to these anti-marriage uh, equality groups um, she also has given to anti-gay groups that, again, have promoted conversion therapy. And so this is going to be the secretary of education. Scary. You know, are we are we going to get we're not going to get quality sex ed. And, you know, I think by quality sex ed, what I'm I'm talking about is consent education and how to draw boundaries and, you know, how to talk about sex in a way that you can actually describe what it is that you want and don't want. That's going to be harder under somebody like her.
2: Well, we got Nikki Haley in the mix too.
3: Yes, we have Nikki Haley in the mix, which I, I think that's kind of like a bit of a wild card, actually, because of like she doesn't have a lot of experience with the job that she's been given. You know, uh, you know uh, that one I think is a real wild card. Where is that one going to go? You know. <sighs>
2: Woody was talking about Phoenix bars. So far, it's spotty. I mean, it's a short trend, but hate crimes are on the upswing since this election cycle, and some talking heads have wondered if it was a emboldening of the masses to speak their minds. What do you think?
3: I think so. I think that it's definitely people feel freer to say hateful things, and because we're seeing so much of it documented. It was definitely happening in, in the lead-up right the last couple of months before the election, um, because of all this divisive rhetoric, all the all the nasty things that are being said, and so that makes people think it's okay to be that way, and that leads to a rise in discrimination. Absolutely. I mean, you were just talking about Nikki Haley. I mean, you know, she, she defended her state's ban on against same-sex marriage, and she defended it really rigorously. Like, so when you hear things like that, and then you now know, oh no, she's going to barrier representative to the UN, that that makes somebody who has that same prejudice feel okay to voice that prejudice because they've seen somebody who's in a position of power voice it. So they'd be more inclined to like, you know, spray paint on the side of somebody's car or on somebody's house, which is what we're seeing.
2: Well, the United States has been a leader in the dismal world of geosexual politics. We may be given up that uh, position, and who will take up the mantle to push for equality across the world?
3: Well, you know, the European Union is still, I mean, I don't know why some people have a, just like socialism, Um, my niece is actually living in Norway, and they have an extremely socialistic society. I mean, she got a ton of time off when she had her baby, and then her husband got, you know, six months off. Actually, it's not even her husband. It's not like they even force you into these sort of traditional roles. You just get supported because you're a member of that society. So, the EU, if they can stop fighting each other, you know, you, you got to wonder what's going to happen now that Great Britain's stepping out. I mean, are they going to still have issues with Greece? Um, you know, Germany's still very firmly in control. And then you also have the added point of like, well, what's going to happen? Is Trump really going to pull out of these Eastern Europe military bases? Is Russia going to take advantage of that? You know, we've been the world's policeman for so long. We've been kind of like the uh, moral light as we've liked to think of ourselves for so long in terms of democracy. And that's being threatened to be pulled back at this point
2: under Trump. For I understand during the Obama administration, the United States has supported Planned Parenthood and so forth in several countries around the world where the local governments would not fund it, we have stepped up and provided funding. Uh, So that's at risk here.
3: Oh, that's not only at risk around the world, the amount of money that we give away to charitable causes and to support human rights and things like Planned Parenthood, which are so important, but that's at risk here in America as well. Planned Parenthood, will quite likely be defunded and that's going to have a serious impact on the local communities where people who are working class who don't have a ton of money and you know that's where they go to get their birth control that's where they go to get their health exams and to um, be checked for stis and it's for family planning as well and so it's not just that it, planned parenthood funds other groups that do a lot of education. I was just talking to uh, a guy who went to Guam and he taught all of the, you know, health teachers in Guam about sex ed and how to teach sex ed. And while he was there he actually got Kmart to unlock the condoms. They had the condoms locked up in a cage where, you know, you had to push a big red button and have somebody come over to like actually buy a condom and they have high rates of teenage pregnancy it's because condoms are almost completely inaccessible so he actually contacted kmart and got them to take away the cages you know free the condoms we're going to see over the next year is this going to have an effect when condoms are really accessible and the teachers have been taught how to teach sex ed and how to protect yourself that could have an impact well if Planned Parenthood is defunded wonderful programs like that are going to stop because there's not going to be the money to be able to do things
2: like that. And the conservatives have been going after Planned Parenthood hard for the last two years or so. Well, Susan, what else do you see in the in our future to worry about or some bright spots? Are there any bright spots out there?
3: Ooh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't think too hard here.
3: Ooh. I mean, I, I wish I found more bright spots. But, I mean, when you look at all of these people, like the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Tom Price, that's another opponent of LGBT rights. Even the Secretary of Transportation, Elaine Chao, has led, is opposed to LGBT anti-discrimination protection. Reince Priebus um, has defended the platform, the Republican platform, which is you know got a big plank in it against LGBT people. I'm actually not sure what the bright spot is in all this. I think the biggest bright spot is Trump is such a wild card. We can't really know how all this is going to play out. Is he going to get all these people into position and then just kind of step back and, you know, take pleasure in the um, media cameos and let all of these people run things and and hurt people? Or is he going to be so sensitive that if we stand up and protest, if they try to pass something against LGBT people, if they try to, uh, you know, remove marriage equality, if the entire country stands up and marches to Trump Tower, I mean, Trump is the kind of guy that would listen. So I think that he does not like these protests that are happening. I think that what we need to do is use those strategically. And when something comes up that is really going to hurt a group of people just because they're um, you know, not in the majority, we need to all kind of stand up and protest that.
1: The one thing we have seen is how he can be a bully also. And if you name-call at all to him, he will turn it right back on you. And so the question is there's a fine balance between getting his attention and getting too much of it.
3: Right, yes. There could be the backlash. You know what I mean? Like because, you've, because you're the, the person to be completely destroyed. But he is the kind of person that once he's won – he can, he can sometimes be gracious in defeat, but then other times, I mean, you can ask the people in Scotland who live around his golf course. They're not exactly happy with the giant wall that's been formed. Um, and I'm down here in Arizona. I mean, we have walls on the border. I mean, there's big walls on the border already. And, I mean, it's not all the way across because it's completely impractical. If you know this desert at all, it's extremely rugged. It's hard to walk through it, much less build a road and then build a wall um so i wonder you know what's what's going to happen with the people who supported him on the idea that he was going to lock up hillary clinton and build a wall and get all the jobs back i think that that that's what i'm really kind of looking towards as in some ways the bright spot because those people voted for him for a reason and some of those people actually voted for barack obama for the same reason mm-hmm. to just get a change.
1: I think some of them are going to be rather disappointed
3: and maybe it can be right for a real change uh, at that point. But then again, we could be dealing with an entrenched political system. That's just nobody can move. But if anybody can move it, Trump could, could actually maybe move it. I mean, if he could get term limits in there, there's a bright spot. That would be amazing.
1: <laughs> the thing is, How is he going to do that by executive order? Because certainly uh, Congress isn't going to vote for that.
3: Yeah, I don't think he can do it. Can he do it through executive order? I mean, if he could, we should all lobby him to do that because that would kind of change the whole culture right there. There goes the swamp. Yeah, Well, yeah, because people would not be protecting their jobs. And that's what you're doing. You're constantly campaigning. And constantly looking to what you can get for people because you want to get reelected instead of looking at the overall what's good for our country. Because I'm going to be going back to my job in four years and leaving this all behind. I think that term limits would be a great thing. But I think that at this point, he might not want to go up against Congress that
1: way well it's going to be a roller coaster ride in 2017 and I'd like to have you back sometime next year about this time so we can do a post-mortem
3: I think so because I'll have the you know the year- end numbers we'll see what it's like next year uh, under the Trump administration and so uh, that could tell us something
1: well fantastic Susan it has been a true pleasure to have you. Tonight, it was Susan Wright from the National Coalition of Sexual Freedom, NCSF, which is our go-to place when we need a kinky professional in some way. I didn't say it correctly.
3: But you need a kink-aware professional. That's
1: right, (laughs) kink-aware professional. I've already used one once, and it certainly helped me a lot. certainly support our organization, which is NCSF, because they are the one carrying the flag for us. Susan, you lead a wonderful organization, and we support you in any way we can in the future.
3: Well, thank you, Woody and the Beast. I really appreciate being on. I look forward to next time.
0: You have been listening to episode 151 of the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our kinky crew, I'm Max. See you next week when we bring you the New Year's Discussion
3: Group.